Okay, everybody, welcome to Honestly Bilal. I'm your host, Bilal Ahmed. I'm a fourth year medical student at the University of Toledo. Uh, this is Honestly Bilal. For those of you who have never heard the show, I basically talk to aspiring ophthalmologists who are medical students. I talk to residents who are training in ophthalmology, and sometimes I have the privilege of talking to attendings who are uh, practicing ophthalmologists right now. So today I'm joined by Dr. Prithi Maruthian Jaya. He is a vitreoretinal surgeon and also an ocular oncologist at Stanford University, where he's an associate professor. He's also the director of ocular oncology and also the director of the vitreo retinal surgery fellowship program at Stanford University. Uh, he's been an accomplished author. He's published numerous publications, uh, authored many textbook chapters. He's sat on many editorial boards, achieved the senior achievement award at the American Academy of Ophthalmology. And he's won the golden apple teaching award at Stanford and Duke. So he's an extremely accomplished uh, physician. I'm humbled to be joined by him today. So thank you. Hey Bilal, how are you? And how to all of your, uh, your viewers? Uh, it's really an honor to be here and uh, you're much too generous with your introductions. Yeah, well, I mean, I had to, I had to, you, when, when I, I try to look you up and I was like, there's so much to go with here. I don't know where to start. So it's an be honor. Be careful what you find on the internet, man. It's, uh, <laughs> right, it's true. Gotta be careful. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Well, I'm, I'm Fake news, fine. fake news. Yeah, well, hopefully I got the right person. I think I'm the right <laughs> so, I think we're good. Yeah, so. You know, I know that you've had quite a journey in your training and in your educational process, and you were a learner once, but now you're a teacher as well. So talk about your journey starting off in Rochester, New York, and how you ended up in Palo Alto, California now, and that whole process, if you don't mind. Yeah, that's a, that's a long story. Um, but uh, no, I think you're right. We are lifelong learners, and um, I think we're uh, in positions that we are in now, um, a lot of it due to just hard work and probably a lot of kind of blind luck that just happens to, you know, follow your way. So um, I think uh, there's something about each individual's journey that um, is special, um, but I think anyone can kind of take from it what they want. So uh, I was born in India. I grew up in upstate New York in Rochester, New York. Um, uh, enjoyed the winters with like minus whatever wind chills and, you know, snow. My, my high school, interesting fact, my high school never skipped a day um, because uh, they would always clear the roads. So we never had a snow day where I grew up, which is uh, rather unfortunate. So um, I, uh, I uh, had high school in Rochester and then, um, you know, I wanted to somewhat stay close to home uh, near family for uh, college and I ended up doing a, a six-year program at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute and Albany Medical College. Um, I guess I probably should have looked more broad but I kind of stayed um, in the Northeast and um, you know had reasons to kind of stay closer to home um, but I did the six-year route I think you know primarily because I always knew I wanted to go into medical school and um, for me it just seemed um, like a natural fit for you know who I was and I'd done like some work in high school and I kind of thought, um, you know, I, I knew enough about it. So, um, so I did that. And, um, you know, we were a very primary care focused um, medical school. Like it was in the mid nineties, which is like okay. forever ago, but no. um, the emphasis of the, of the whole program was like, I think more than 60% of the class went into primary care. And here I was like from the beginning wanting to, wanting to do a subspecialty. And I, I kind of knew it was ophthalmology sure. um, from the beginning. Um, so, um, you know, you, you kind of find your way when you kind of know what you want to do. I think some of the hardest um, aspects of people going into ophthalmology is that, you know, we kind of do a very small rotation, maybe like at the end of, you know, your third year or, yeah. or maybe even in your fourth year, maybe not even at all. 
Right. And um, in those two weeks, you have to not only like like it, maybe love it, like, you know, make a relationship with, um, you know, with mentors and your departments and whatnot. Um, and then you kind of go into the, um, the whole match process. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had really great mentors growing up um, in ophthalmology. I was really fortunate um, and, you know, blessed, I guess. Um, my, my top mentor, I think, in um, you know, my professional career was Dr. G.N. Rao. Um, Dr. Rao is a cornea specialist, and uh, he ended up leaving academia here in the U.S. and uh, founded the L.V. Prasad Eye Institute, which is um, in Hyderabad, India. And it's like really now one of the top institutions in the world. It's like high-end academic. Um, it's uh, a model for... Um, Kind of pyramid system of mm-hmm. of uh, care delivery, so um, they they serve a huge population in the Southeast Asia. Um, but he was kind of visionary, and you know one of the you know the, the top public health ophthalmologists in the world um, by any measure. But you know humble, hardworking, ethical, mm-hmm. um, and someone who you you know could be very comfortable with. You know, kind of you know asking dumb questions as like a high school student or a college student, but really like an authority on every other level. So, um, you know, you, you knew you're standing in the, in the presence of greatness. And, um, and that was just, it was comforting and also like um, inspiring, but also motivating. So, um, you know, you just didn't want to, um, you kind of engage in such mentorship and that opportunity and like you didn't want to mess it up so yeah. like, I think that was kind of that was kind of my thing like you know once um, you know he was there to guide I, I, I guess I never thought about switching routes because um, you know he had been as successful as he was and so supportive as well um, along the way so I think one of the things that it kind of goes with is um, you know how you how you form relationships yeah. at a young age um, at, at, at any stage and I had um, you know really nice relationships with the uh, the ophthalmology department in my um, medical school and um, still try to keep in touch uh, when I can um, so I went through the match, and uh, I was uh, fortunate to uh, match at uh, the Duke Eye Center in Durham, North Carolina. Ended up being my, it was like my top choice uh-huh. of where to go to. Um, but I'm fairly certain I was never their top choice. Like that's, um, and, and the reason I say that is that, you know, it's, and, and to, your, to your listeners too, um, you know, I didn't come from, a, you know, like a top five medical school. And, you know, yeah. I, I had opportunities that were, um, available to me. And I think I took those as well as I could and I tried to do as well as I could, you know, right. with those. But um, I think there was always like a a, um, a major like inadequacy, like quotient, um, whether, you know, I was even supposed to be in the same room as um, the other applicants in my cohort year. So, right. yeah. um, but, you know, you make friends along the way and, you know, you get to see similar people, um, you know, amongst the, the circle. Um, and, you know, chips fall as they will. And I think that, you know, everyone, you know, you're kind of destined to probably be where you're, you're going to be yeah. um, and to have that opportunity, um, you know, at a place where, you know, you, you can kind of see yourself. I think that was, you know, that was fun and could have ended up in a bunch of places back in back in the old days in the 90s. Like, you know, we didn't apply to like 60, 70 programs, which right. I think, you know, these days people do. And, sure. and I understand the concerns for it. But, um, you know, I think like I ended up I think I interviewed at 
probably under 20 programs and I ranked, you know, that many. And, um, you know, that's that kind of is what it, uh, what it was. So, um, so it was, it was a great opportunity. Um, and, you know, um, I'm, I'm glad I, I went through the process and um, was able to match there. But it was a, it was a great, um, you know, three years uh, in, at Duke for residency. Mm -hmm. um, I actually came back home to Rochester, New York for uh, my intern year. Um, which was fun because I uh, met, eventually met my um, future wife, and oh. she's also an oncologist, um, and we're both in training together, and we both made it down to Duke ultimately, um, and that was, uh, that was great. So I had, again, at Duke, it was um, a very different environment than my medical school, um, you know, very, um, I mean, I'd say intense, and I say that with, you know, fondness, and I don't right. mean that, like, in any malignant way, right. but it was just just the way it was. Everyone worked hard and they play hard um, as well. Yeah. Um, and, and the South kind of has, you know, at that time, like a very, um, you know, traditional system of how um, things were done. Um, and I think you'd find that in a lot of the larger uh, institutions uh, on the East Coast and, you know, that have storied histories. And right. our department was uh, no different. And um, I, um, you know, made great friends. I learned a lot from a lot of different departments. Mm -hmm. um, and like someone, uh, like many of your, your listeners, I kind of loved everything um, in yeah. ophthalmology and couldn't really pick. Um, but we had a super strong core um, of retina mentors uh, at Duke. It was the home of, of um, Robert Mockamer, who was the father of vitreoretinal surgery, and just all these giants of the field who I have such great respect for because yeah. you know, we, we stand on their shoulders. And it was really, um, you know, a real privilege to be able to um, be, uh, you know, in that retina group at that time with a lot of the innovation that was going on and um, so many fellows, so many residents that were into retina and just innovating things like left, right and center. And right. I was the least innovative of them all, but probably, you know, I, I think I could, I could work as hard as um, anybody if, yeah. uh, if given the chance. So yeah. I think that was part of it. So um, I, I finished my residency and we have at Duke a postgraduate chief year. So um, you're chief resident. Um, and the way it worked is that you're an attending at that time and you managed all the resident lectures um, and you did a lot of trauma surgery with the residents and secondary repairs and um, all that. So I did that for a year. Um, and then I, they asked if I could do it for a second year. Um, so which sounds really ludicrous and crazy um, to, to do that uh, twice, but I really love teaching and um, yeah. it, was a, it was a great opportunity. Um, and having a spouse who's also um, an aspiring academic um, in uh, training as well, it, it allowed us to align a little bit with our timing. Sure. Um, and um, so uh, we took it and that was a great research year for me. I, I kind of uh, was well into the groove of the teaching and got to work with you know two um, sets of resident classes uh, through it all. And I kind of realized that, you know, teaching was an important part of um, what I tried to do. Right. Um, so then I got to um, stay on at Duke Eye Center to do my vitreoretinal surgical fellowship, which was a intensive two-year um, surgical training program that emphasized uh, research and um, just, uh, you know, a lot of great mentors to work with again. Um, and I had a fantastic crew of co-fellows um, wow. who, you know, to this day, I still keep um, quite closely in touch um, with many of them, and uh, we are um, colleagues and friends and collaborators, and 
um, we're really like in the trenches together. Um, yeah. Good times, bad times, families, weddings, children, like all that awesome. through it. And um, I think it's Band of Brothers and Sisters. I, I think that was uh, really quite good. Yeah. Um, so um, I finished my two years of uh, fellowship and um, tried to make decisions kind of on the next step of where I go. Mm-hmm. And this is, again, where the serendipity of opportunity comes in and, yeah. you know, where you kind of see yourself going. And I always felt like academia was where I would end up. Um, I didn't think I'd be really very good in private practice, um, you know, without having the opportunity to teach and be involved with things. And yeah. I also knew that staying, um, you know, um, at Duke and not having anything to distinguish what I'm offering to the program um, may have been a little bit daunting when like the greatest mentors in the field were doing the same things that I would do as a general rich retinal surgeon. I, I mean, how could I compete? Like, what do I have to offer? So, you know, I'd be kind of doing the same thing. So I, was, I, I thought of it, you know, kind of that way as whether there are other opportunities for further training. Yeah. Um, and as I tell people, um, there there was a whole line of really smart fellows ahead of me that were offered uh, opportunities to bring ocular oncology um, and reestablish that at Duke. And um, they, you know, for great opportunities of their own, they didn't. So I, I tell everyone I got the hand-me-down job, like from about two or three of my fellows ahead of time uh, for that opportunity. And, you know, it's, but it's been great. You know, my wife's an oncologist and um, I think I've always been interested in something um, more about the holistic aspect of um, medicine. And I think a lot of us, you know, think about internal medicine or other things as fields because we we appreciate like the whole body um, and as it connects to the eye. And I thought this was, um, you know, as unique an opportunity um, as it could be. So, um, Duke actually sponsored me to go to England, where I went to the Moorfields Eye Hospital, and um, there I trained with one of the um, the giants um, of the field, uh, Mr. John Hungerford. So I got to uh, become licensed as a foreign medical graduate um, in another country, which was uh-huh. a humbling experience. Yeah. Um, you know, as as people really um, you know struggle coming to the U.S., yeah. um, I had to take an English test. I had to um, you know, like you know, fill out all my papers and such. Um, but you know, I was able to then be credentialed as a um, as a fellow who could operate um, in the UK, um, and it was great. So I got to like delve right into the national health system, um, and it was there like you know, there's just a whole bunch of patients to be seen, and um, you just kind of dive right in. So that was um, really very interesting, and. Um, uh, in a short period of time, I you know, got to do a lot clinically and see a lot of patients and surgical. And, and it was uh, an old school fellowship where it was just me and my mentor. And we would take long tube rides, you know, from one hospital to the other. And I would just be, you know, I, I wasn't with my, my wife or my child. They were back here in the States. And I was just, you know, reading everything that I could and, and just like asking questions all day. And I think it was really um, an important way for me to learn as much as I could about um, uh, ocular oncology. Um, and it was, a, it was a great, great year. And I made it back to, um, to Durham, um, North Carolina and started my practice and um, really was um, you know, such an important formative, a uh, little over a decade um, on faculty at Duke um, and a total of about 17 years um, in Durham for uh, my wife and I. Um, before we made the move now exactly four years ago um, here to uh, Palo Alto. So um, I joined the, the faculty here at Stanford. We uh, here didn't really have a 
ocular oncology uh, service, and it was really an opportunity to kind of um, you know, be in a different part of the country at another great university with um, colleagues who are friends mm-hmm. um, and to uh, maybe bring a different style um, of, of teaching and learning and patient care to the West Coast and really meld in with, uh, with a great group. So um, that was not a short answer to a um, short question. But, no, uh, but it's a story. And that's the thing. I think that the story is what tells a lot about the person. And it seems like yeah. you, you didn't really planned a lot of it, but it just kind of happened. And it seems like you took an opportunity, led to another opportunity, and you just kind of knew that you're deep down, you knew what you wanted to become, but you just, you kind of had to go with whatever was presented in front of you. Yeah. And, and I can't say that like, I knew this is what I want to do. I have, I have some friends and colleagues who, you know, have always known that exactly this is it. I, I guess, you know, I always wanted to be an ophthalmologist and early on, I guess I always wanted to go into retina, but I yeah. can't tell you that I knew ocular oncology was like something that I'd end up yeah. doing. But I think now, um, you know, it, it is something that um, that defines me and, um, you know, makes me, you know, think about what to do better next yeah. um, on a daily basis. And it offers an opportunity for me to um, to give something um, maybe a little bit unique um, to the training experience. Um, so, yeah, that's that's how it happens. That's crazy. I mean, that's just one of those things where it was almost, you know, you, you start off, you have this conception of what you want to become, but then like, like you said, that there's, there's, there's always a niche for somebody to become more than what they ever thought they could be. And it's like, I mean, it's one thing to even be an ophthalmologist, but then to be a vitreo retinal surgeon and then to be an ocular oncologist on top of that, it's, you know, you, you really become so, I I feel like you, you're not just specialized. You, you become more than just specialized. You try to find ways to make yourself expand and learn more. So I always feel like, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And I think um, sometimes, you know, you might have a a semblance of like, this is exactly what I want to do or how I want to do it. But, you know, the truth is um, opportunities are always there. And I think the hard part is being able to see yourself in the future with, with a path that you may want to take and then to see like the pros and cons of it. Um, And I think one of the hard things is, you know, to realize that it may not work Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe like you've made a mistake, like maybe this isn't the best, you know, yeah. place to, um, to, uh, to venture into, but you know, it, it happens. And, you know, I, I think we're all smart enough, um, with all of our journeys to then have to be resourceful and to do something yeah. different, but that's okay. I mean, it's yeah. all part of it. And, and every experience builds, right? Like you can't say like any one of those, you know, steps that I may have taken or you will take. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't just work out just right. I mean, I don't think it's wasted effort in any way in medicine. I mean, it's, you know, we spend enough time, heaven's sake, like, you know, in training, like sometimes a year seems like forever, but, you know, maybe it's not in the grand scheme of things, um, you know, who knows? Yeah, I mean, we try to plan and then sometimes it's funny how the plans just never work out, but it becomes something don't else. always work out. <laughs> something, wow, I planned for this to happen, but I didn't realize it would become something much better down the road, so. and you can't always see that and that's where i think mentors kind of help um sometimes you know they can you know they may they may have a few gray hairs or maybe they have their own experiences so you know this might be good but just hang in there and i think hanging in there is like a really uneasy step right to say well maybe it'll work out and and, you know but i don't want to take the chance and sometimes you know having something in hand versus something bigger that could be there if it blossoms right that's a risk and i think um, you know, that risk tolerance and risk reward is something um, not always easily quantifiable um, and you want it all up front. So yeah. that's not easy. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that's one thing I was going to ask you is like, you're just going off of that, what you said there. 
do you feel like you took risks that were sometimes questionable to yourself that you're like, oh my goodness, am I doing the right thing? Or did you feel like you took a healthy amount of risks that was really calculated? Or did you just kind of go with whatever felt right in the moment about your career? Yeah, um, I hate to say, you know, I, I, I'm not that adventurous, I guess. Um, so I think that it's, um, you know, you always try to plan things out. And in our case, um, you know, there was two um, physician careers that were always in balance, myself and my wife, and we're both yeah. like very passionate about what we do and, mm -hmm. um, and, and such. So there's always like this respect for each other's, um, you know, kind of goals as we yeah. wanted to be. And so how could we try to optimize and maximize? But I think the biggest risk was, um, you know, going abroad to do another fellowship right. um, when I could have either, you know, gotten a job at that point yeah. um, and, um, you know, making that alteration um, who knew what that would look like when I came back and, you know, whether it would be even successful. So um, I think that was a risk. And I think, um, you know, moving, leaving a place like Duke where I was very comfortable and, you know, I thought I they would bury me next to my slit lamp. Like I would just, you know, yeah. end out my career there, uh, which would have been just fine. Um, and then, you know, at that point where I had such great friends and such great relationships yeah. um, that, you know, to, to leave there at that time, I think that felt risky to me. Um, and, um, but again, you know, in, in retrospect, it's not, you know, I wasn't that, you know, um, out there or, or audacious. I think a lot of folks, when they start their first job, the average time in a ophthalmology practice and your first job is two years. Sure. So, um, you know, most people will make those changes and jumps and in um, that way, maybe, you know, I'm not that, you know, um, that, you know, kind of limber and plastic to be able to move around. Uh, I kind of like things. Um, but I, I think I also would probably give something like as much a chance as I could for as long as I could right. um, to try to make it work. Um, yeah. you know, I, don't, I don't know if I'm like a, you know, bail at the first sight of, of trouble kind of guy, but maybe that's also, you know, that could, that could be a fault too. I don't know. Oh, no, it looks like you definitely made it work. And it looks like you have to <laughs> figure it now. And that's the main thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, you know, a lot of my audience is mostly, it's mostly meant, this show is meant for medical students. And I don't think a lot of medical students get exposed to ocular oncology. I know I have never been exposed to it in medical school and known much about it. Um, besides being a vitreoretinal surgeon, that's a big part of your career is ocular oncology like you touched on. So kind of explain to the audience, you know, what is the responsibility of an ocular oncologist and what does that entail? Yeah, good question. So um, uh, ocular oncology is the study of um, eye cancers, so uh, broadly. So um, we look at um, both from the pediatric newborns to, you know, uh, older individuals, so across the spectrum. Um, so it's the management of uh, eye cancers. It's the diagnosis of suspicious lesions that could be cancer and to try to uh, prove whether it is or isn't. Um, finally, it's the incorporation of uh, systemic cancers and how they impact the eye, whether as metastatic tumors from another part of the body to the eye, or also the side effect of uh, treatments. And as now there are so many new targeted therapies that are extending life and making such a difference, um, we're understanding that there are more complications that can impact vision. And I think um, that's part of uh, the job as well. Um, I, I take care of uh, babies with retinoblastoma. I take care of um, uh, teenagers with you know, leukemias and then older individuals, uh, primarily with ocular melanomas and uh, metastatic lesions to the eye. 
Um, we use, as a vitro-retinal surgeon, my uh, angle towards it um, kind of ties in with my, you know, with my first uh, love and first training, which is retina. So um, my focus of my practice is uh, predominantly on intraocular tumors. Um, we take a very uh, vitro-retinal surgical approach to it. So a lot of um, using uh, small instruments, small gauge vitrectomy to take, um, you know, uh, tumor biopsies and cut things out that don't, you know, you shouldn't be cutting out of the eye and um, to try to make diagnoses. So that's um, an aspect of it. What's a little different about what I do, and this goes to my training, is that I also manage um, ocular surface tumors. So um, a lot of conjunctival tumors, uh, some orbital biopsies and such. So um, I think that's one of the, um, that's something a little different that our fellows see um, in, in, as retina fellows because they um, spend time on my rotation. So, you know, a lot of uh, surface tumors, conjunctival uh, and mainly intraocular tumors. So um, it's a burgeoning field. I think there's more and more of us that are um, uh, practicing in ocular oncology um, through the years as more people are training and uh, the needs become uh, so that universities need to have these specialists um, in their midst. Um, there are some uh, great pri private practices also that you know manage large parts of the country for needs, but there's not many of us um, in the U.S. So probably university-based, probably about two dozen or so um, universities have programs, um, and maybe others in other universities that manage those conditions. So you know, again, say say 40 to 50 of us in the country that um, kind of put this on their uh, bill of business uh, going forward. So. Um, and it's a it's a um, small group um, of folks, and we all kind of know each other, and we, you know, keep um, on top of um, each other's uh, research and work. So, um, and and there's a lot that we've been doing um, in a collaborative sense. So there's been this kind of push towards um, folks working together, kind of a younger generation. Uh, maybe I'm like too old to call myself in the young generation anymore, oh. but you know, it's like uh, <laughs> it's. But um, but I think that there's a, a push for. Uh, you know, collaborative studies so that yeah. we can come up with better answers together. And I think that's actually motivating um, as well to know that there's, um, there's strength in numbers and people might be able to work together to make, make a difference. So, um, and it's not something that I think um, a lot of people think about doing unless they've been exposed to it. But why I really love it is that it really incorporates um, really all aspects of ophthalmology. Um, so, there are, you know, days where I'm looking after, um, you know, neuro-ophthalmologic issues that deal with cancer, secondary angle closure glaucoma, you know, due to a tumor, um, conjunctival issues, intraocular issues, you know, we're really just like um, ophthalmology kind of incorporates the rest of the body, ocular oncology to me really incorporates all of the eye. So, um, so it really kind of forces me to um, try to be on top of you know, newer treatments and why are we doing this and complications of such. So I, I can't, I can't allow myself to be like in a little bubble for too yeah. long. Um, Cause then I won't know like, what is this new stent they're putting in, you know, right. for glaucoma, could it impact my patient with a right. melanoma in their eyes? So, um, so it's good. And it kind of forces me to um, stay a little bit current um, and uh, definitely challenges my trainees too. Um, as I pull out obscure facts from the air that I right. just kind of looked up. <laughs> so, it's... so it's almost like even though it's a very, you know, even though ocular oncology is a very specialized field and as well as vitreoretinal surgery, 
it almost seems like even though they are you know specialized people also have to have a very good comprehensive ophthalmology knowledge base to really have an idea of how things can manifest it seems like from what you're, from what you're saying yeah i think so um that's what i've realized and I, I go back to a lot of my old training um and again a lot of the mentors that i had in residency so again you don't know what you um are going to have to use from your training so you know whether it's pediatric ophthalmology which was you know particularly hard for me as a resident um yeah. you know, kind of managing children but now i take care of a lot of kids and you know all those little tricks and tools that i learned in surgery with my attendings there you know still come back to you know help me and i hear their voices like in my head um you know as i'm doing something um you know, and try not to do it wrong because, like, that's right. <laughs> that's why I hear their voices. Um, so, so I think that it, you know, just like anything, you just you don't know what you're going to actually need. So, just because like I really want to be a corneal surgeon and I love refractive surgery, um, but it doesn't mean that you know, doing learning how to do a good retina exam or paying attention to those neuro ophthalmology lectures won't come in handy. And I, I definitely do not have photographic recall and remember all this stuff, but I kind of know like where I heard something and I can go find it. Um, and that's, that's okay too. Uh, yeah. Knowing your limitations are really important. Absolutely. And, that, and that's something I was going to ask you. I'm sure at, at some point, you know, you're very humble and, and you, I think you downgrade your, your abilities more than, than you, you should, but I think it's fair to, uh, you know, I think every person is a student and we've talked about this before we got on here is that we talked about lifelong learning a little bit. Um, and, you know, you've had numerous years of training more than, more than most people in ophthalmology. So, uh, and that these, you know, big name institutions or these fields that are sort of new territory. Were you ever in a place where you doubted yourself or did you feel like, you know, maybe this was uh, a place where I, I, you know, you just felt like you didn't belong. Did you feel like, you know, I, I'm the underdog here or maybe I need to prove myself, right? What do I need to do to dig deep in this situation? Did you ever find yourself in a place like that and how did you overcome it? Yeah, so um, I think all the time. Um, so I think I, um, I, I think I kind of, doubt myself um, along the way all the time. And I don't mean that in like in any, you know, like self uh, deprecating kind of way, but I think there's always a humility of knowing that there is so much more out there, so much bigger than you. Um, my wife and I always talk about um, how, you know, when you have the opportunity to speak at a large national meeting in ophthalmology or in retina, and there's like 3000 people in the audience, right? Yeah. There, the, like on that same day in another part of the world, there's some expert, some you know man or woman who is like the, you know the tree bark expert of the world, who's giving a talk in front of ten thousand tree experts, <laughs> yeah. and like everyone's going, whoa, like this guy knows everything. He is the man or she is the That's woman, fair. and so like again, so like our perspective is so like we're so small in like, what true, we do yeah. in the world, right? And you know, and yes, you know, I may have an opportunity to help an eye and whatnot, but you know. I, I'm I'm definitely not going to be in the running for Nobel Prize or you know or whatnot in the future, but yeah. it doesn't mean that there isn't an importance of what you do. Um, yeah. And I think that it's that um, that for me there's that constant self-doubting that do I know enough or have I learned enough or have I asked the right questions? Um, I I kind of look at like every case you walk into or every surgery as a little bit of like healthy um, self-doubt. Like sure. I just. You know, I kind of run every case in my head and the analogy that I use is, um, you know, Michael Jordan doesn't walk out onto a, a court and, you know, just 
starts shooting like you know yeah. he's kind of visualized the shot as it goes yeah. into the basket from every angle all the time and that's as much as you can do um, when you prepare as a surgeon um, and whether it's a straightforward routine cataract or a complicated endoresection of a tumor in the eye um, you know whatever you think that's important you kind of run through everything so I think every day there's a bit of little bit of self-doubt and a lot of humility as to how you take things and I think I always I'm first it's like I don't know everything and yeah. I, really, I don't claim to um, but you know I think you still want to do what's right for the patient and um, if you ever get that comfortable like I know everything then you're going to miss something so right. um, so I think yeah there's always like a healthy bit of self-doubt on a daily basis mm -hmm. um, in my career I'd say um, like when you're just starting in a very niched field and you're, you know, you work among giants um, yeah. who have been doing this a uh, couple decades more than you have and, you know, that, you know, have accomplished a lot more and are more intelligent um, on, on, and more experienced and wise. I think there's always that doubt, um, you know, whether you can hold up to them and are you doing the right thing? Yeah. And I think it's, you know, I, I think if you take it as like a, you know, I want to be better than someone else or better than them. And then you, I think you have to ask yourself really for what, like, you know, right. wh why are you trying to do that? Like, is it for yourself? Yeah. Um, or, or do you want to be good to take care of your patients right. the best way or move your research forward or move the field forward? And I think yeah. um, that's what um, has helped me like to be able to work in the sphere that I can control, which is amongst my colleagues and my friends and people sure. that think, you know, likewise. And I think in time it's allowed me to, um, to gain, um, you know, great re new relationships with some of these very senior people and older yeah. people that, um, that you're like, okay, that, that, that works out. And, um, you know, they might still think that, you know, I'm an idiot and that's fine, <laughs> that's, but that's okay. But yeah. it's, it's, it's good. Cause I think at the end of the day, um, you know, as long as, um, every, you know, patients are looked after and, um, you know, we can move the field forward in a little, in little ways, that's fine. Yeah. But, um, just remember the, the, the woman who's giving the lecture about tree bark, tree bark is probably yeah. more important than, than any of us will ever be one day. So awesome. as, no. as long as that comes into play, um, it's okay, I guess. Yeah, no, it's a good analogy because I think in the, the day, at least the process, like I, I feel like I'm going through right now or maybe other medical students were like, oh my gosh, what if, what if my application is not good enough? Or what if I'm just like not as published as people are? Or what if I don't have the best scores or grades or anything like, you know, like you're saying, there's people out there who, yeah, are super accomplished and they're going to be better than you. And there's going to be people who are just studying some other field like astrophysics or something else, you know, totally different, but it's important. And you find your place in that. And, you know, I think that perspective is awesome. I, I actually really like so that. What, what no one can take away from any of us, you know, forget the scores, you know, mine weren't you know, super awesome grades. They were, they were okay. They weren't like, there were probably people that were better. Um, and publication wise, I didn't come from a PhD background and I didn't have, you know, a, a faculty in my medical school where, you know, everyone was doing like tons of stuff. And so they're, you know, and I, I read applications like a lot this time of year for residency and fellowship. And, you know, you're just seeing like people come from all different things. I'll say this, no one can limit how hard you can work yourself. Like, you know, sometimes it's, it's easy and sometimes it's a hustle. And um, I will take um, someone who has hustled yep. um, to get to be in the conversation, like hands down over someone where everything was like handed to you. And no offense to my like, really smart friends that have you know gone to like, really great universities and whatnot, but um, I kind of hold the bar a little bit higher. Like, you know, yeah. if things are that much easier, then um, yes, like, you know, the, the accomplishment and the expectation may be just a little bit higher as well. 
Um, so I'll take hard work any day um, because if you know everyone's smart, like when they get to this point and they've they've obviously done things right to to get to where they are. Um, but hard work and you know earnestness and um, not being entitled um, to um, you know what's ahead of you. Yeah. Take it any time, hundred percent. So that's what you can control. It's like how yeah. hard you know you're willing to work. Uh, and how earnest you can be. Everything else, you know, it's it, these are numbers and scores and whatnot. You'll be you'll be fine. Just work hard. Yeah. I think that's I think that's really really what resonates with the, uh, people who are listening to this because a lot of us, myself included, we don't have home programs, or at least I don't. I know for, I've talked to friends who are pioneers here who, who come from schools without home program home programs or some who do. But at the end of the day, it's really hard to find. I feel like it's, it's everybody has their own skill set or own talent or own something to bring to the table that if they like you said work hard bring that, be honest about it and just show up. Half the battle is showing up. So I feel like, you know, that's it. the rest is like work that you said. And I think that's so many people who will be listening to this will really take away. Yeah. That, that just, just remember this, like, you know, you can outwork anybody if you really want to. I mean, yeah. if you take the, if you take that time in your residency as a medical student, but in your residency, and you're going to say, there's no one that's going to spend more time, you know, reading as I am or, you know, like being on the spot as I am or whatnot, um, you know, it, it doesn't mean that where you end up in medical school defines where you go to residency or where you are as a person who practices to take care of patients or research or academics. I mean, all different roads. And it's not all, you know, like there's not just like two universities that produce all the people in the world that are good, right? Like all of us are, you know, offer different things. Sure. Um, it's just, uh, it's how you kind of put that together. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and maybe it's okay to have a chip on your shoulder, right? Like saying like, I'm, maybe I'm not as good as someone else thinks, you know, I am, or maybe I'm just, I got in cause I'm lucky, not because yeah, I'm good, yeah, for you sure. know, but okay, fine. Once you're in, welcome to the game. Like at this point, <laughs> yeah. like you, you gotta play and you uh -huh. can't, um, you can't be like, oh, I'm, it's not, you know, I, I'm never going to be there. Yeah. Yes, you are. Um, so you just don't let anyone outwork you. Yeah. Um, and don't lose um, that enthusiasm of what you know, took you through this entire crazy process in the first place. Like you, you, you're, you're applying the ophthalmology because like you kind of want to be an ophthalmologist and you know, that's the end point. So then go for it. Like yeah. there's, there's nothing that should stop you. That's awesome. No, I think that's, that's the, like, it, it, it's something to hear from somebody who's made it as, as far as you, you say, and I know you don't think you have, but to us, yeah. it's like, I, it's like looking at people who, who have contributed something is, is, more important than people yeah. who are just taking it and kind of kept it to themselves so i get that and you know i think that you know this this year is a little crazy right like with the covid stuff and yeah. you know everyone's like the uncertainty and as you pointed out you know you're gonna um not have that opportunity to to meet people on the interview trail maybe um as much as you uh would have in other years and all that but you know this will be a time that defines um you know a generation of learners um, and, you know, how do you um, take that opportunity and say that, you know, I'm going to do like what, you know, Bilal has done, which is, you know, find forums for, um, for people to still interact because that interaction is still important. Yeah. Um, but how do you do it and how do you um, still get to, um, you know, work with others and, and share ideas? And maybe you guys will find even better ways to do it than what was done before, you know, maybe standing in a, in a room with, you know, you know, 200 people and, and hearing a lecture yeah. um, will be very different than being on a Zoom with a thousand people and yeah. getting ideas. So who knows? Like, you know, no. there's got to be something good that comes out of all this yeah. um, when people are motivated. 
Absolutely. I think there's silver linings down the road that we're not seeing yet, but maybe they're forming. Like doesn't always, doesn't always show itself, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like you've shown it yourself. That you never know when the silver line is there, but when it's there, it's, you, you may yeah. appreciate it till later. Totally well, true. Dr. Murthy and Jai, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been an honor. I mean, you're so, I, one thing about you, I've just been interacting with you is, is how humble you are. And I think that's something to take away from all of this. And you mentioned- You're very kind. And, and I think we're going to take away that hard work and the humility is going to win the day at the end, no matter what yeah. happens. So I hope I get to meet all of your viewers at some time or another, yeah. whether um, it's in Palo Alto or at a uh, meeting when we ultimately have them. And I think what's cool is that there's a lot of, um, for your, your listeners, there are a lot of ophthalmology-based um, um, courses and webinars yep. and things that are just out there and they're free. Yep. Right. Um, no one's figured out how to charge for them yet. Like we're, mm -hmm. we're, we have, we have a, uh, Stanford Retinal Innovations uh, Summit that we have moved online that'll be starting in August. Okay. Like I would just find all these and yeah. you know, even if it's like way over your head, I mean, you get to hear things and really delve into see what an amazing field ophthalmology yeah. is and whether it's in dry eye or glaucoma or, sure. or retina. Retina is the best of course, but like, okay. you know, any of those others are okay Bias too. Here. You can spend some time, but it's, you know, great opportunities for um, your learners to like really get a sense. And you, you'll probably learn a lot about different faculty members from different parts of the country just by yeah. hearing them um, more than maybe a 10 minute interview would have gotten you. So um, who knows? Who knows? But uh, anyone that, you know, I bump into, if you're a friend of Bilal's, just say hi and uh, we'll, we'll get to we'll get to chat. Well, a lot of my viewers are on Twitter. A lot of us have been using Twitter uh, this season to kind of meet uh, attendings and faculty members. So do you have a Twitter account people can follow you on? Uh, yeah, so it's I-E-Y-E-M-A-M uh, Prithvi, my first name, P-R-I-T-H-V-I. So I am Prithvi, at, uh, is, which is my Twitter handle. Awesome. So yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully get more followers who are students to kind of follow your wisdom and, and, and maybe get some more with us. Right now, it's my wife and my, my two daughters who are following me. So, you know, maybe that's uh, it's a way to build up my following. That's, there you go. It's all <laughs> there, there it is. It's loyal following you'll have. So stick with that. Too. You got it. Yeah. You got it. Well, it was all right. Awesome. Thanks for joining me. Be well. All right. Take, take care. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe to Honestly Bilal on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or if you'd like to watch on the YouTube channel, you can watch these interviews in their video format. You can find me on Instagram at Honestly Bilal and on Twitter at Bilal underscore 1712. Be sure to check out future chats coming up with medical students, residents, and ophthalmologists in the field today.